You're listening to The Lightwalker's Path with Serena Myers, the podcast that sparks real, raw, honest conversations about what it actually means to live a spiritual life. Serena is a sacred soul mentor who guides people to tap into their heart's truth so they can live their lives with purpose on purpose. This is episode 33 of The Lightwalker's Path. I'm your host, Serena Myers, and I'm so excited that we are continuing our interview series. And today I have a wonderful guest for you. Her name is Vanessa Kuto, and she's an astrologer. She is an artist. She is just a magical maven who is doing really brilliant work um, in the world where she's actually bringing so much of this stuff together. And so today we've kind of um, shanghaied her into <laughs> narrowing down her brilliance into one topic. We're going to be digging into archetypes and myths and stories. But before we do all of that, I want to just give her a chance to introduce herself in her own words so that you can get a little flavor about what she's all about. Well, thank you for having me over. This is really fun. You know, it was, you know, narrowing it down is, a, is an issue for a Gemini as myself. So, yes, I'm an astrologer. I'm an artist. Um, my astrology perspective is approaching it from depth psychology. So using Jungian archetypes and symbolism to work with astrology so if, to in, help people feel empowered in what they're doing and a lot of my focus is in the intersection of life and livelihood mm. so i'm very interested in working with astrology for to help people set up their business in an aligned form and my art comes from well for one of the things i do is actually the birth chart mandalas because the birth chart mandalas are your birth chart is a sacred terrain, your sacred holy ground. And so creating the art for the birth chart really takes it out from that sort of flat two-dimensional kind of like what am I looking at situation to, ooh, it's colorful and there's symbolism. So that's the art part. And I weave it all with mythology and storytelling as well because I've been so interested in it, in it all my life. And so for me personally, it has always been about bringing giving the right respect to astrology and moving beyond. It's not the horoscope on the newspaper. Mm -hmm. It's beyond that. That could be just the entry point. Mm -hmm. But for me, it has always been a drive to make it more palatable, but uh, useful in the day to day. Mm -hmm. And it's not scary and it's not to be dismissed. You know, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a lot of depth in astrology. And then do you use the myths? And those archetypes, like, is that how you, is that a teachable tool? Is it to make it a little bit easier for people who maybe aren't as well-versed in the world to wrap their head around it? How does that come in, come together? It, it depends a bit on the client sometimes. Um, some clients are kind of into it or sometimes in looking at their chart, sort of a, a myth will sort of rise itself and I may need to explain it, bring it out so to make, uh, maybe I'm talking about a certain aspect, so I want to flesh it out and make it more tangible. So I'll use the stories as a way to make it more memorable and tangible. Mm -hmm. I use them a lot and as I explain or give classes, um, but sometimes I'll actually go beyond the myth of the planet, you know, or the sign. I will go into a different kind of myth altogether. Mm -hmm. um, like this, I've been giving a Next week, I'm giving a talk. Well, by the time this goes out, but I'll, I'll have done the talk about 2020, exploring it through from a mythic perspective. I'm actually 
going into King Arthur's mythology. I'm not, I'm, you know, bypassing uh, Greek stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, to me, they're almost like what myth feels kind of appropriate for this moment. Mm-hmm. So I just think that I myself learned a lot through story. So I find that using story, be it sometimes even fairy tales, helps you to remember. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, and especially when you're discussing some more challenging aspects in the chart, things that are a little harder to sort of digest. If you tell a story, I think it does help you have more entry points into that difficult situation. It feels less personal, too, when it's your chart. Yes. And you, you have a sense of like, oh, I can get some perspective and the story is so rich. I can kind of see how it plays out instead of saying, like I gave the example earlier, you have this planet in the seventh house. It's always going to be horrible for your relationships. Well, if we can find the story, I think it allows the person to work with it a little bit better. Well, and I've taken one of your workshops and I feel like you use that as a, as a teaching. We we're talking about the moon. I think it was like the romantic connection. Oh yeah. The, the luminary the romance. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so funny because when I read that and you know, like I started reading books on astrology when I was eight, because when my parents separated, my dad was like hardcore, like Linda Goodman's love signs. And like, that was one of my his, first books. Yeah. yeah. Like comparing all his like future women or whatever, he was using that <laughs> book to like determine if they were a good match or not. And so that was my entry point into this world, which like probably not the best book for an eight-year-old, but here we go. <laughs> and well, one I, thing she did well, it was a little bit, she had these little tidbits of stories that were a lot mm-hmm. more manageable to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, even though I had been, I mean, by the time I took your workshop, I had been reading about astrology in some capacity or another, including working with astrologers and psychics um, when I worked at a psychic line uh, for 30 years. And then I met you and your spin on it still brought freshness to it. Like it was still able to expand it into a way that I hadn't either seen or hadn't considered, or maybe just, maybe it had been presented to me before, but because you brought it from the approach of using stories, the message actually sunk in 30 years later. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Uh, I think it just really helps. And also I think it helps dismystify it. Mm-hmm. Because I myself actually have a hard time when astrologers start going, and this planet is sextiling this planet. It's like, well, you lost me. Mm-hmm. Like, depending on how fast they go, I'm like, I've, if I don't see it, it's very hard. But if I have the story, it's like, oh, it opens it up, dismystifies it, and allows it to have different levels of interpretation. Because I think much like in anything, uh, any system of knowledge, we tend to go for the for the key words. We want the bullet points. We mm-hmm. want the hashtag. We want the Twitter, you know, frame of mind. On one level, that is excellent because it's you get that you get. Oh, I get that's the information. But it also it makes it so quote unquote simple that it takes away the flavor. Right. So if you actually bring in story or the archetypes, you can you can see it's multi-layered. And in my mind, it's a multi-layered cake, chocolate cake at best, you know. It's gotta be chocolate. <laughs> it's gotta be chocolate. Yeah. And so you have, I think it makes it much more fulfilling meal. I'm more in favor in rather than making it too simple, mm-hmm. actually allow the complexity, be, make it a five course meal. Yeah, make it complex, but digestible digestible. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Cause as you were talking, I saw a flash in my head. Cause I, sometimes my guides bring forward little 
blips to talk about. They showed me all the pot, like how popular the memes are right now, where it's like, you know, dogs as astrology signs and yeah. um, just pe- the old ladies or whatever. And you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's totally me. And I feel like there, it's wonderful because there's that engaging self-identifying aspect, even if you weren't into astrology, but you knew what you were because you read your horoscope in the paper, you could go, yeah. oh yeah, that's funny. Um, and while it's great for spreading the word mainstream, it is really shallow and it lacks yeah. the kind of depth that you can get to when you're working with somebody who actually knows what to do with a chart. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, it, it probably is with the, almost any field, right? In the healing field, you know, mm-hmm. all the modalities, you can get stuck into this, just this one thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm actually, there are many astrologers who are sort of snobs about the sun sign astrology. I'm not. I think it's great. It's an entry point. But as long as you see it as an entry point. You know, it's the little appetite. You shouldn't get stuck there. I think if you really, if it really sparks your interest, follow the thread deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like Mercury retrograde, right? Yes. So just recently watching a, a sitcom, it was a blip of a, a scene, but there was a sign on the, on the school saying, Mercury's retrograde, be careful. And I thought, oh my God, it has arrived in a sitcom. Yeah. And while it's funny, and even I make fun of it, Actually, the, the meaning behind what you can really achieve with the Mercury retrograde is much more interesting than actually the shallow sort of surface level. Mm-hmm. But on one hand, it does make it more popular and a, a sort of uh, approachable. So th- I think it always helps as long as it's not utterly abused, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, uh-huh. let's actually go here for a second because Mercury gets a really bad rap. And I feel like I spend <laughs> so much time trying to reassure people that for those three weeks at a time, the world isn't ending. No. <laughs> so with the power of story or myth or archetype, how can we talk about Mercury retrograde and how it's not the end of the world? Well, let's go back to his original story. So Mercury for the Greeks was Hermes. Mm. And Hermes was born. One of the core things he wanted, he was the son of Zeus, of course, with one of his many lovers. And he was born with this idea immediately that he was not just going to be down here. He, he belonged in where his father lived, in Mount Olympus. He wanted to achieve that level. So he immediately started his life by using his cunning and his intelligence to achieve that level. Mm. He stole from his brother Apollo. He did all the trickery. So he was just barely out of his own mother and he was already playing. So he's a trickster archetype. So that was, and that got his father's attention. Zeus liked what he did. Even his brother who had, you know, he had stolen the cattle from Apollo. And in an exchange for the cattle, he got the, you know, Apollo got the liar. And, you know, he, he already was trading, right? So he was the sort of the making the shenanigans. And Zeus promoted him immediately to the role of messenger for Olympus. And so there's some comedy that could be done with that story. But one of the key things he got was as a messenger, he's the only one who could go anywhere, including the underworld. Not even Zeus could go visit his own brother in the underworld. So that was a, a special treatment that he's the one planet the one archetype that actually could go in multi-levels so that's one 
And, and so a lot of his stories speak to his being an archetype of crossroads, mm. of moments in which as a, he was the god of travelers. So when you're traveling, when you're on a journey, there are moments in which you kind of have to look at a map, you get lost. So he functions as a GPS. He functions as the one that says, no, go this way. Oh, there's a detour, which is really when a Mercury retrograde hits. That's the, the uh -huh. detour, right? So he is an archetype of a God that is on the edge of the known and the unknown world. Mm. Both he and Venus, a.k.a. Aphrodite, they're, God, they're culture bringers because they're always on the edge. So if you think about Mercury, as we're talking here, Mercury is present because my Mercury is speaking to your Mercury. Mm -hmm. My ideas are exchanging with you and the listener. So when you get to a retrograde, which it does three, four times a year, it is that moment in which I would say Mercury is going into the underworld. Ooh. So that's why there's an actual cycle that the three weeks that there's a time before, there's the three weeks, and then there's a little bit after, right? There's a whole process being, that's happening. And one of the, usually the most simple way that I explain is the minute Mercury is about to go retrograde, so they call it the shadow, right? It's coming. You can sense it. You can hear the train coming, you know, about to arrive at the station. There's a sense that something is about to shift. So it's, let's say, when you're driving, your GPS starts working. This happened to me in Seattle not too long ago. My GPS for whatever stopped working. I was like, oh my God, I have to go old school. Right? There was this, the Mercury moment. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> so didn't quite happen. So you can sense it coming. The minute it goes retrograde, that first stage of the first, the first bit of the three weeks, it is when Mercury is going into the underworld. So it's going inward. So everything that you are putting out, actually stop, bring it back. So bring it back in and go in inward. So that's the underworld. Mercury going into the underworld. Then when he's down there in the cycle of Mercury, he meets the sun. And that's the new seed moment. Sun and Mercury come together. And there's a moment within the three weeks that we have a sense. Usually I tell people, pay attention to this date when the sun and Mercury join because an idea maybe out of the left field could come in and you're like, oh, a few weeks from now, I might go for that. It meets the sun. And now the second part of those three weeks, you're still in the underworld, but there's sort of like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Something shifted within. I can start moving out. And so a lot of the shenanigans that we hear about Mercury is that if you think about him as the archetype of communication, of exchange, of trips, of things that change from one end to the other. Everything that's a trade, inner and outer, that's his rulership. Mm -hmm. So when he goes retrograde, he is sort of in a liminal space. He's in a threshold space. And so one of the best places I like to illustrate as a liminal space is actually an airport when you're waiting between flights. Mm -hmm which is another realm of Mercury, right? Because you're there, you're traveling, all these exchanges and information, is when you are waiting between flights, uh, 
when you are at the airport, you're kind of in a sort of a different zone, especially after you pass security. <laughs> uh, you can't just carry stuff from the outside. You're in this sort of locked in place where certain rules are different. And let's say your flight is delayed or canceled. Now you find yourself kind of stuck in a place that's very different, or you run into people you wouldn't expect, or you'd strike up conversations you wouldn't expect. That's, and it's sort of also a place of anxiety. Oh, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it to the flight? There's, there's a lot happening that's very pregnant when you are in a waiting zone. And, that, and so the Mercury retrograde is a bit like you're waiting between flights and a lot could happen. Mm -hmm. So instead of being very tense, or as we say in Brazil, putting your skirt over your head and running <laughs> around like, oh my God, you know, Mercury's <laughs> retrograde. That's one way to approach it. <laughs> Probably more stressful is to try to understand what is being asked of me, you know, I would say. And so because as an archetype of trade and exchange and road and crossroads of, a, of an archetype that's always on the edge, you know, because the minute you leave home, so the ancients would do this actually, they would have outside their home, uh, a statue that would sometimes, and then you would find this in the crossroads, like a statue of Hermes of a Herm, to say, when I go out, Mercury, protect me. Mm. I'm out of the home. You know, sometimes they would also have statues that were of Hecate to be like, no one that shouldn't come in. Hecate, protect our home. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, deep in the home. Side, you're covered on both sides. You're covered on both sides. So actually, yeah. Hecate and Hermes really are relatable. Mm. They, they work together. Um, and so you would have that also at the crossroads you'd have a statue called the Herm. That's why Hermes. And it was like a block, like a rectangular block. Up top would be the head of Hermes, the god. But also what would be interesting on that, the sort of the rectangular block, it would have this gigantic penis. <laughs> because Hermes, a.k.a. Mercury, is very, it was a very fertile god. You know, wherever he think about ideas, which is in the realm of Mercury. Mm -hmm. Ideas travel fast. They impregnate each other, right? Mm. So what you would do as a traveler is you would find these statues, these herms, and you would leave a gift. So, so let's say you're traveling. You don't need to carry this book anymore. You leave the book there. For whoever is coming after you, they may use it. Mm -hmm. So I would say during a Mercury retrograde, that's an actually interesting thing to do. What could you leave behind that you no longer use, that you no longer need, that could actually help the traveler coming behind you? That's really cool. So you could have a book exchange, right? Some mm -hmm. neighborhoods actually have that. You know, you can place your books in a little, um, little tiny wooden house at the crossroads of streets. And you could, yeah. you know, it's like a little book exchange. That's very Mercury. Do you feel like um, the people who really struggle, because I feel like it, it plays up for more people than others. Yeah. Do you think that's people who are not, who are like working against the energy, who are trying to carry on as though it's business as usual when they're trapped in the airport? I think it depends. I think some people uh, have a more challenged by observing the signs around them because I'm of the belief that astrology isn't up there. It's actually around, it's here. It speaks all the time. I think the world speaks to us all the time. So I think that one of it is like you're really pushing against it. You're just not wanting to look at it. Maybe the signals were coming. 
Now, each Mercury retrograde is not the same. They're not all the same in the sense that now this is when it's good to know your birth chart because it depends where it's hitting in your birth chart. You know, so maybe one Mercury retrograde, eh, it's just going through a phase. You get your some drama, but not that much. But others are really hitting particular planets or a certain position in your chart that really gets activated. Mm -hmm. So even for myself, some Mercury retrogrades, I feel like, oh, I didn't even quite didn't even notice it. Others are like, well, that really got me. I also think that some people, because of the position of Mercury in their birth chart, they're more in tune to that archetype. Mm. You know, so they're already kind of engaged. And some people, I think, because they're into it, they're, they're really keen on learning more, they are naturally becoming more sensitive to it, I would say. Now, I think there's also a bit of a placebo effect here because sometimes I think people, just the fact that they hear it, they're already like, so anything will be. Oh, it's Mercury retrograde, right? Uh, and so I don't, I think it depends on situation by situation to really, but at the end of the day, I would recommend there's a Mercury retrograde coming. Where is it hitting in your chart? Now you'll be better prepared um, to see what's really going on. Mm -hmm. uh, for me personally, the one number one thing I actually do notice across the board, <laughs> all of them, is that I must be more flexible with my scheduling. Mm. There's something about for me that if I make any plans around Mercury retrograde, even if during and then afterwards, I cancellations, reschedulings will happen more often. It's like a percentage goes up. Yeah. I used to fight against it. I used to be really annoyed. And then I was like, oh, just... Just let it go. So in my case, I try to actually clear the calendar as much as I can to just allow for more buffer. Mm -hmm. um, and then what needs to get done can fit within that space as opposed yeah. to trying to control. Trying to control. Basically. So that for me, that, that's what happens. Um, I never really had that many problems with traveling or, you know, situations like that. But it really depends on what's being activated. Mm -hmm. Now, next year... 2020 this year was the same mercury's retrograde all in water signs so the the likelihood like the one we just had in the fall was in, in in scorpio so the next one will be in pisces so the likelihood that people are going to be more emotional uh, comes up right yeah. so, so you're reviewing you're revising you're rethinking and all that in the realm of imagination and emotion and sensitivity. Uh, and so I think there are certain things. Now, I just find it very uh, comedic, really, that government and all that, they just tend to do things right on the Mercury retrograde. It's almost like, what? I, you really don't want to give us a straight answer because things <laughs> are shifting. Because that's what the liminal point is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a collective <laughs> liminal stage. Mm -hmm. So un understanding the elements also helps you understand better the sign. Mm -hmm. It helps you understand um, the season we're in. And this is one thing I always tell people uh, about like, oh, I'm interested in astrology. I really, you know, it's complex. It takes a long time to really learn it. I myself, like I said, I, there's so much to learn. It's comp many different kinds of astrology as well. But one of the things I always tell my clients is this, look, Astrology is around you. It's actually quite everywhere. 
start by observing two things. One, where's the sun? So for, you know, look at is the sun in, in the month of Sagittarius, in the month of January. Observe, observe the kinds of conversations that come up. Look at the headlines. You will see the sign sort of play out in different places. The other thing that I think perhaps is even easier for those who are more in tune is to really track the moon. Mm. You know, get to know the phases, get to see, there are so many good apps now. What moon, where's the moon on that day? You know, for a couple of days, the moon is in a certain sign. So you can notice what's up, how do you feel, what, what's the mood for you? And then you can start tracking. So if you also another good tip is if you like to keep a journal is to write on, you know, if you write your date, also put the sun is in whatever sign and the moon is in whatever sign. Mm. And just have that as a practice. And then when you go back to reread your journals, you know, you'd be like, oh my God, how interesting. On that day I wrote about this thing and the moon was in Gemini. Oh, you know. You learn that way. It's like a more sort of through experience. And again, that's deepening your own understanding of yourself and the choices you make and how you carry yourself in the world. Yeah. And this is frankly not the kind of stuff you're going to get from the newspaper. You, this is not, no. this is not your, your weekly horoscope. This is no. intimate and it's personal. And, it's personal. Yeah. yeah. And I think more importantly, I would say, that astrology is a methodology of life and it's not for everybody you know some people you know it's just not not their jam totally fine but it's extremely helpful for you to understand yourself that's your birth chart so it's really great for you to understand where are you in development because there's the birth chart but then the planets keep on moving we have the transits and so on and so forth activating parts of your chart and so to know that to understand that you'd be like oh so this is not going to last forever oh this is great so how can i engage with the situation from a different perspective so that's another element and then the element that for me personally is the one that i think i love the most is actually understanding the longer cycles and mm -hmm. that helps you understand what's unfolding in the world but they'll be those slower Culture. moving planets? The slower moving planets and the cycles and how they come together. You really get a more of a historic perspective and be like, oh, the world is not just crazy now. This has repeated before and I can kind of see similarities. So I, do, I think it helps us have a perspective on what's unfolding and our place in the world now. Um, this is another thing I tell clients all the time too. When you were born, you were the answer to a question posed by the time in which you were born. And the answer is in the chart. So I think it behooves us individually, especially if you're a spiritual seeker, you're in the sort of, I want to get to know myself and do something in the world. It is important to know this because you were born a Virgo with X, Y, and Z for nothing. It's not for nothing. There is a reason. And what is your gift? How, how are you going to bring that in? Because you are an answer to a question. I love that. I literally just started jotting it down and then made a note of at what point in, the, in <laughs> our chat that I'm going to need to do that. Because 
uh, I want to come back to that quote yeah. that is so powerful for particularly for people who are in that seeking place. Yeah. Um, it can be so easy to just think that it's all willy nilly. Yeah. Um, particularly, I think when it's hard too, where you feel like this is something being done to you, but when you can recognize this is like a mission, it brings such a new breath into the idea of purpose. And I think yeah. that's so beautiful. So for an example, I, keep, I was thinking about this, you know, people know about the Saturn return, you know, <gasps> the Saturn return. I love mine. <laughs> <laughs> so the Saturn return is, you know, it's quite the initiation, right? For many people, it is definitely a big initiation. And there's one and there's two, you know, when you're 58, 59, 60, you have another one. And what I like uh, to notice in the chart often one place I like to start often is through Saturn because, and I'm speaking to Saturn because there's a whole conversation around Capricorn for 2020 is a lot happening in Capricorn mm -hmm. and Capricorn is a sign ruled by Saturn and Saturn has been traveling through Capricorn the last uh, couple of years and Saturn is speaks to us much a bit different than um, Mercury. Mercury guides us. Mm -hmm. Saturn is the threshold. Is this is like the buck stops here? Right. What are you going to do about it? And so, but it also speaks to what is the thing that we fear, the angel, the place we fear to go, the angel we are wrestling with ourselves. Mm -hmm. I often think about Saturn much like that part in the Bible where Jacob wrestles the angel. Mm -hmm. I find that image so potent because in the dark of night, he's wrestling with something he doesn't know, only to find out in the morning that it was an angel. And I think Saturn for us, culturally and individually, often functions like that. It's the thing we resist, it's the thing we fear, it's the thing I don't want to go there. And in the times we're living in now, especially because there's so many planets in Capricorn, all of us in our own ways are being called to step up to what is my thing to do? What is my responsibility? Which is Saturn saying, no, no, this is a responsibility. You need to have the ability to respond and to take ownership and master. That's a good word for Saturn. The thing you fear. So often Saturn represents also the midwifey moment. Mm -hmm. This is the birth canal. This is your limitation the contractions are coming, push, you know, face the dance, step up, that's Saturn. So I think when you understand the, the stories and the archetypes that way, you can see what's happening in our culture, what's happening in the world, and how you fit in. Mm -hmm. you know, how that kind that of mapped resonates. out perfectly onto my life. So again, like that use of story made it so palpable, so easy for me to be like, yep, I yeah. know what that was like. Yeah. So that's, I think it really helps, especially when people are going through a very challenging transit, like a Saturn return. Usually it's not for the faint of heart, mm -hmm. is to get that started, be like, look, this is what it means, how you take it on. That's your responsibility. But, you know, I think it does help alleviate uh, some of the pain by helping one feel more empowered. It might not be like, oh, it's going to brush aside and it's all going to be rainbows in three months. It could be. Mm -hmm. But I think astrology can be very uh, truthful and sobering 
but more empowering than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that's what I strive to do, you know, to really kind of help the client be like, no, no, don't lose don't, Again, don't put your skirt over your head. No need <laughs> for that. This is what you need to see. This is what's a possible thing. And how are you going to engage in that conversation? Because yeah, it's like, it's almost like having the weather forecast. Do you need to bring an umbrella? You if know? you open that umbrella, that's up to you. Totally. You, right? You have an element of choice. Mm-hmm. But I think you have an element of choice the more you understand the territory. Yeah. Back to the analogy of the country. The more you understand the culture, the more proficient you are in the language, mm-hmm. the better you navigate in that country. I love so, this. Yeah. So I think it's really powerful. I mean, if I think for any spiritual seeker who's whatever stage they're on that journey to at least once in their lives to have a really solid a meetup with a, an, an astrologer, to have a reading, to really go in deep is, is very helpful. So let's talk about that. How can people work with you? You can reach me on my website, vanessacuto.com. I have uh, sessions that are single or, or you know, um, three session packages and you know, you can find me out there. And if you want to sort of have a taste of what I kind of tend to talk about and the way I approach things, always you can sign up for my uh, newsletter. I have my cosmic Mondays that I, as I call them, my missives and online to the way I, I work. You can get a taste of my language and, you know, see if that resonates with you. Yeah. And that can be your gateway into working with her because yeah. There's no way you're going to just, you know, sign up for the list and then that's the end of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This This has been amazing and so eye-opening. I really appreciated you taking the time today. You can find all of Vanessa's contact information in the show notes of this episode. And of course, if you want to keep the conversation going, I would love to see you in my Facebook community, The Lightwalker's Path, same name as this podcast, where we are having honest conversations about what it means to live a spiritual life. We'll see you there.